0: This podcast is brought to you by Proton Dealership IT, the cybersecurity and IT experts committed to keeping your dealership safe from cyber attacks. To learn more about how to better protect your dealership, go to info.protontex.com slash That's I-N-F-O dot dot com slash P-H-I-S-H.
1: Want to dive deeper into the topics you hear about on Daily Drive? We're offering listeners a special offer 20% off a one-year Automotive News digital subscription. That gets you access to all of our news, information, and analysis made for automotive industry leaders like you. Go to autonews.com slash Daily Drive promo to redeem.
2: Welcome to Daily Drive for Tuesday, October 10th, 2023.
3: I'm Jake Neer of Automotive News in Detroit, in for Jamie Butters. And I'm Kellen Walker in Las Vegas. Today on the show... General Motors now faces major strikes in two countries as uniform workers walk off the job in Canada. GM and Stellantis lay off another 800 workers because of the UAW strike. And two big suppliers team up to invest big money in silicon carbide chips for EVs. Plus, Nthcycle CEO, Megan O'Connor, talks about the race to get more refined metals for EVs and the big challenges ahead.
4: All of these companies are trying to go electric very quickly, but unfortunately we don't have enough of these sort of building blocks or, or clean energy metals to, to make that transition in the time frame that anyone wants to or we need to as a society.
3: Let's run through all the news you need to know to keep up in the auto industry. How much can change in just a few
2: hours? Unifor members at General Motors Canada went on strike at midnight. That's after two weeks of intensive talks between the two sides failed to produce a deal akin to the pattern agreement the union struck last month with Ford of Canada. Workers at GM Workplaces in Ontario began picket duty early this morning, minutes after Unifor's contract with the automaker expired at 11.59 p.m. on Monday. GM now faces major labor disruptions at key plants in both the U.S. and Canada. The strike includes more than 4,200 hourly workers at GM's Oshawa Assembly Plant east of Toronto, its powertrain plant in St. Catharines, and its Woodstock Parts Distribution Center. GM now faces a likely disruption in production as workers at the St. Catharines plant make engines for a variety of vehicles, powertrains for the Chevrolet Equinox and Corvette, as well as engine component parts. At the Oshawa plant, workers build light and heavy duty Chevy Silverado trucks, one of GM's most profitable models, while the plant's stamping operations supply various parts for GM North America. You can find more details on the Uniforce strike at AutoNews.com.
3: Back in the U.S., General Motors is announcing more temporary layoffs as a result of the ongoing UAW strike. They include about 70 workers at a stamping plant in Michigan. The automaker said that, effective Monday, more employees at Toledo Propulsion Systems in Ohio, Marion Metal Center in Indiana, and Lansing Regional Stamping in Michigan had no work available. Those facilities make powertrains and stampings for the GM assembly plants in Missouri and Michigan, where employees are on strike. That brings the number of strike-related layoffs at GM to more than 2,300. The automaker said... It has worked to temporarily move affected employees to other parts of the plants, but that work is no longer available because of the strike. Meanwhile, Stellantis says it had laid off more than 640 workers in three states due to the strike at its Toledo assembly plant. Roughly 520 workers at Trenton Engine in Michigan and 50 workers at Kokomo Casting in Indiana were laid off as of Friday. That's in addition to 68 workers at Toledo Machining in Ohio who were sent home late last month. Meanwhile, the company said roughly 300 employees previously laid off on September 22nd from the Kokomo Transmission and Kokomo Casting Plants in Indiana returned to work Monday. The UAW strike against the Detroit Three is now in its 25th day.
2: Toyota affiliated supplier Denso and Mitsubishi Electric are teaming up to invest $1 billion in exchange for a quarter of Coherent Corporation's silicon carbide business. That's according to people familiar with the matter. Those sources say Denso and Mitsubishi Electric will each invest $500 million and receive a 12.5% stake valuing the unit at about $4 billion. Coherent will keep a 75% stake in the entity, which will operate as an independent subsidiary. Coherent has the option to sell more in the unit and raise as much as $500 million within six months following the close of the deal, as well as sign additional supply agreements. Representatives for Coherent, Denso, and Mitsubishi Electric declined to comment.
3: And it looks like Lucid may fall short of its production goal for this year of more than 10,000 vehicles. The EV startup added 478 U.S. registrations in August for a total of about 4,270 over eight months. That's according to Experian data. In the first half, Lucid reported production of fewer than 4,500 of its air sedans and deliveries of about 2,800 the company has not reported third quarter numbers. Cox Automotive estimated Lucid's third quarter deliveries at 1600 in a report last month. Lucid launched new versions of the air this month at the top and bottom of its trim ladder as it seeks to stimulate demand amid an EV price war with Tesla and legacy automakers. And those are today's headlines. Coming up, We'll hear from Nth Cycle CEO, Megan O'Connor, about what the company is doing to boost the supply of refined metals for EVs as demand booms. That's next on Daily Drive.
2: The auto industry's shift to carbon neutrality is here and it's accelerating, but is it enough? This is a moral imperative,
3: an economic imperative, a moral peril but also a moment of extraordinary
4: possibilities. No more hesitancy, no more excuses, no more waiting for the others to move first. There is simply no more time for that.
2: Driving to Zero is a new podcast series from Automotive News that looks at the auto industry's roadmap to carbon neutrality. We take a big picture look at the environmental, political, and social trends pushing the move toward a greener future, and we pull back the curtain on how these decisions are being made at the highest levels. I said, you know, the, the headline that you need is is GM believes in an all-electric future. And I think Dan Ammon and Mary Barra pretty much said the same thing, which is like, but but we, we don't. Spoiler alert, they came around to that idea. Find out how and much more. I'm Jake Neer. Join me and Automotive News Executive Editor Jamie Butters on Driving to Zero, available now wherever you get your podcasts.
0: Email phishing happens every day. Cyber criminals are out to trick your employees and coworkers into handing over valuable information that can compromise your dealership through impersonations, fake giveaways, and urgent emergency requests. All it takes is one click to shut down everything. Phishing is the leading cybersecurity concern for dealerships. Without the proper training and protection, your business is left vulnerable to ever-evolving attacks. One day you click an email, and the next thing you know, you get a call from your IT guy. Your email has been compromised. Shut down immediately. Stories of attacks and their consequences come flooding in every day. And all it takes is one click to shut down your dealership. You have enough to worry about as it is. Don't add getting hacked to the list. Let Proton Dealership IT help ensure you are fully protected and learn how at info.protontex.com slash fish. That's I-N-F-O P-R-O-T-O-N-T-E-C-H-S dot com slash P-H-I-S-H.
2: Welcome back to Daily Drive. I'm Jake Neer with Kellen Walker. One of the big concerns as we transition away from fossil fuels and toward electrification is that we're trading one set of national security problems and Middle Eastern oil for another set of problems with China, which is home to many of the critical metals needed to produce EV batteries. Megan O'Connor is co-founder and CEO of EnthCycle, a refining technology company that's starting to find ways to establish domestic supply where there was none before for metals like cobalt and nickel. O'Connor spoke with Automotive News Tech and Innovation Team Leader Pete Bigelow on Shift, a podcast about mobility. Here's a piece of their conversation.
1: We hear a lot about the metals needed in this new energy economy and in an auto sense, the transition to electrification. Uh, where does N-Cycle fit into that? What's your corner of the universe?
4: Yeah, so N-Cycle... Um, And Cycle's mission is to create a sustainable source of all the critical minerals that we need for this energy transition. So right now we're heavily focused on the battery materials, as you mentioned, the cobalt, the nickel, the manganese, and the copper, right, heavily used in the automotive industry. And all of these companies are trying to go electric very quickly. But unfortunately, we don't have enough of these sort of building blocks or or clean energy metals to to make that transition in the timeframe that anyone wants to, or, or we need to as a society.
1: Is there one of those metals that you're focused on more than the other? I, I would guess based on the name of the company, but but maybe I'm wrong.
4: So the name of the company actually comes from um, being able to reuse metals um, an indefinite amount of time, so to the nth cycle. So it's funny that you mentioned that. But yes, today we're heavily focused on uh, cobalt and nickel. So okay. really heavily the battery industry.
1: Okay. What is give give us a sense of the business outlook for for cobalt and nickel right now and how much is needed in the supply chain going forward? How much do we have today and what what does that gap look like?
4: So the gap is is pretty astounding, especially after the Inflation Reduction Act, right? So if we think about just the the total you know, global nickel supply that we have today, we're actually in a world of oversupply, um, surprisingly. But when the Inflation Reduction Act was passed, right now, um, any U.S. um, manufacturer will have to use domestically sourced uh, metals, critical minerals like the cobalt and the nickel, or get them from countries with a fair trade agreement. And that uh, eliminates over 80% of the world's nickel. And so that actually puts us at a deficit here in the U.S. And you know, from over the next, you know, three years or so, that's about 100 to 150,000 metric tons of nickel, which might not sound like a lot, but that's a lot of nickel from a country that doesn't have many nickel mines, right? We have one mine that's open and it's actually being decommissioned as we speak. And so we're actively trying to produce more of these, not just critical minerals, but domestic critical minerals now so that all of the, if we think about just the auto space, right, the auto OEMs can be compliant as they move forward starting next year.
1: I'm curious. I'm pretty sure you started the company prior to the IRA passing, but that sounds like that gave you quite a
4: tailwind. It did. So I started the company over six years ago when I started to dig into all things critical minerals, right? I mean, cobalt and nickel, I think get a lot of publicity, if we want to say that, uh, from the from the auto industry and the battery industry in general. But there's you know over 30 uh, elements on this critical minerals list, both from the US's perspective, Europe has one, right? We all have the same issues in the Western world, which we don't have enough of them in circulation. Uh, and there's the national security issue of that they they generally all come from overseas. And so to become leaders in this industry, we're really trying to pull these materials back. And like you said, this was way before the Inflation Reduction Act sort of uh, made that even uh, an even bigger bottleneck for us. And so we've been actively working on this problem. You know, we do cobalt and nickel. We're looking at rare earth metals. We're looking at copper, right? Again, the list goes on and on, sadly. And we need, you know, more of all of these materials to transition. And so that's what Encycle is really trying to do with our refining technology.
1: Tell me about the technology itself. What are the extraction techniques that you use that are different than others?
4: So in the world of metal refining, whether you're recycling material from its end of life, so think an end of life battery or even scrap from the oil and gas industry, like the catalysts are heavy in in cobalt and nickel um, or raw ore coming out of the ground. It generally goes through the same process or has for for many, many years. First, it's extracted um, and mechanically shredded, separated, um, concentrated down to a certain percent. And then it's shipped overseas to be smelted, right? So it goes into a very large, it's called pyrometallurgy. It's just a, think of it like a large furnace. They burn everything down and and separate out based off of thermal uh, differences in the materials. And that produces a really nice intermediate product say for the nickel. That intermediate nickel will then go to a hydrometallurgical facility, which is really just like the final refining steps to get it down to the purest form that most folks need for manufacturing and so again all of that typically happens overseas and so what encycle saw as a huge bottleneck was in that smelting step or in that you know really carbon intensive sort of furnace step that i mentioned before to create those nice intermediates that can go into final refining and so that's really where we sit as the technology partner for a lot of folks on the front end. So we work with uh, existing recycling companies that are collecting the materials. We work with uh, different mining companies who are trying to maybe get more material out of their ore. And we do that first sort of bulk refining step. And so because we're doing it in a completely different way, instead of using you know high pressures and high temperatures that you'd see in smelting, which are very carbon intensive, we use electricity and water in our core technology. And so we can actually reduce the carbon emissions by over 90% compared to those traditional routes. And we can do it domestically. So right, one of the major bottlenecks was not just how carbon intensive it was, but where you had to do it because it had to be a centralized facility and the permitting that would go around something like a smelting facility. And we, we simply can't get those permits through typically anywhere here in the US, which is why we've never done that sort of bulk refining step for a lot of these critical minerals. And so we said, okay, can we develop a more modular, uh, cleaner technology that A, wouldn't need as much permitting so it's not as harmful for the environment and and B, could go to where all the different materials are that we have available today, right? Because we don't have a big nickel mine that's just sitting here in the US sort of waiting to be uh, refined. Uh, Unfortunately, we have much smaller assets to pull from. And so why follow this large carbon-intensive centralized model when we can sort of flip the, the script on its head and say, let's develop a much more modular, easy, accessible um, refining technology to go to where these materials are today. And, and that's exactly what we've done here at Ncycle.
1: All right. I've got a lot of questions for you. Um,
4: <laughs> go ahead. I'm <laughs> uh, <laughs> to
1: back go. up. You mentioned the smelting aspect was very carbon intensive. It sounds like the idea of of shipping materials overseas to be smelted would also be very carbon intensive. So just how just how carbon intensive to use that phrase yet again is, is like the current state of affairs.
4: Oh yeah. I don't have the numbers at the top of my head, but it is, it is one of the most carbon intensive parts of the whole supply chain is, is in the refining, right? So getting the material, whether it's out of the ground or even out of a recycled or end of life, um, think of like e-waste, right? To refine it back into a metal that can be used in manufacturing again, it's it's really expensive. Like you said, the transportation just adds to that, and so that sort of like blew my mind of like why why are we developing these massive systems that you have to transport everything to? Like let's build the system to go to wherever these materials are. Um, and so we've done a study and, you know, compared to the traditional mining, uh, routes to get nickel, for example, we're over 90% more, uh, carbon efficient, and then compared to tr- traditional recycling routes, uh, 44%, um, less carbon intensive. So we're, we're very excited to have, to be sort of the cleanest, um, or cleaner source of these, uh, refining technologies out there on the market today.
2: Megan O'Connor is co-founder and CEO of EnthCycle. She spoke with our own Pete Bigelow on Shift, a podcast about mobility. You can hear the full conversation on Shift wherever you get your podcasts. That's Daily Drive
3: for today. I'm Jake Neer, in for Jamie Butters. And I'm Kellen Walker. Thanks to automotive news journalists Lindsey Van Hulley and Lawrence Iliff for their reporting for today's podcast. We also had reporting from David Kennedy of our sibling publication, Automotive News Canada. You can get the latest news on the UAW and strikes, tech and innovation, and everything happening in the auto industry at autonews.com. Come back
2: tomorrow for a conversation with Plug CEO Jimmy Douglas about the company's online marketplace that facilitates wholesale buying and selling of used EVs. If you enjoy the podcast, remember to like, leave a review and subscribe so you never miss an episode.